Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. One day at the university where I was serving as president at that time, a student asked me a very important question, a profound question, really. Is leadership a gift? In other words, is it born in you like the color of your eyes? Or is it a set of skills which can be learned? I want to explore that today with you on this podcast. My name is Mark Rutland. I'm the founder of Global Servants and the executive director of the National Institute of Christian Leadership. Peter Drucker's famous uh, comment about leadership is that leadership is doing the right thing and management is doing things right. Far be it for me to argue with the great Peter Drucker, but I believe that's too cozy of a delineation. I think actually it's two sides of the same coin. Leadership is visionary. It's, it's carrying the organization forward. It's uh, thinking, creative. It's, and as a result of that, it's destabilizing. Leaders create change. Management is actually about stability. What management wants is predictable results over a period of time. So in other words, the consummate manager wants to know exactly how many nails we made last year, how many did we sell, what was the cost, what was our profit margin, and can we repeat that next year and the year after that? The leader is saying, can we make anything other than nails? Can we make something else? How many new product lines can we create? How much should we reinvest in the company? How far extended should we get? You see that those two things clash with each other. So the management skills are more liable to be learned. And the leadership gene, if you will, is more likely to be inborn. But the best leader managers encapsulate both. So, let's talk about leadership now. Yes, there is an extent to which leadership is born in you. The natural leader shows up on the playground in about the third or fourth grade. Um, That's the the one who's always chosen as the captain. He's the one who all the other boys gather around. She's the one that... uh, that it becomes the teacher's pet and about the third grade. There's these natural skills that show up, and other people are attracted to it. They're drawn to it. The problem or the challenge for the natural leader is that it works so easily, so well for them without further development that they may actually become dwarfed in in their leadership skills. They learn certain things that work on an elementary school playground They master those, and they just keep trying to get better at them as they get older, and they never develop. So the leadership uh, genius, if you will, on on the fifth-grade playground learns that because he's the biggest and the tallest and the best athlete and he can yell the loudest and dominate the other boys, by the time he's a CEO in his 50s, he's he's just a a table-pounding bully. And that can devolve into being a bully in his house. It can devolve into being uh, just a a domineering uh, 
bad guy who never really develops in his skills or his abilities and has no relational ability, no intelligence for relationship at all. The uh, natural leader, the girl who's the smartest, the girl who can learn early on that her smile opens doors. She can twinkle her baby blues at the boys or at the teacher, and it kind of springs open a level of favor that the other girls don't get. The problem for her as a natural leader is that she can become manipulative and even sensual. So, yes, there is natural skills and leaderships. I would say this, though. They're not indispensable. There are people who become great leader managers later in life, and they were not naturals early on. Very little of that leadership DNA, that, that gene for leadership showed up early on. A lot of times uh, you see those leaders later in life who have developed and grown and become significant leaders, and the people that knew them early on are, are kind of like saying, really? Uh, because they just didn't see those things. What happened? They moved beyond their natural limitations as, as natural leaders, and they developed uh, other skills, other abilities, other, um, other ways of thinking and doing leadership and management that took them beyond those limitations. They got over the fence, if you will, of what their natural leadership would do for them. It doesn't mean natural leadership is bad. It's a good thing. It just means that it can, without, without emotional, spiritual maturation, and the desire to go further and learn management skills to complement those leadership skills, it can limit those people. I remember seeing a quote from uh, Steve Spurrier one time, and he said that uh, he said that some of the the let me paraphrase it. He said some of the most challenging people to coach are the people who come to the program the most talented, because they've depended on their talent the whole time, and they've never felt that compulsion to learn more, to gain more, to step it up. So they're still operating at the college level on high school talent because they didn't need anything else at high school. The same thing can happen whether you're the, the manager of a hardware store or the CEO of, a, of an international company or the pastor of a church, that there are things that get you to one level that just come to you naturally, that just like the color of your eyes. And yet, they, they won't take you to the next level. That's where leadership and learning go together. I've always believed that the, the best leaders are constant learners. Great leaders are great learners, constantly adding to their skill set, learning things. I, I remember when I uh, moved uh, into the great church, Mount Perrin Church of God in Atlanta under the the great genius, Dr. Paul Walker, it impacted my life in a huge way. And the first thing was, I realized that I had stepped into a hole that was over my head. I went literally from off of the, preaching off of the hood of a Land Rover in West Africa into the platform and the leadership and the management of the largest, one of the largest um, spirit-filled churches east of the Mississippi. And I was working directly under them with, alongside a consummate leadership and management genius. And I realized immediately I'm going to have to get my game on 
that whatever had worked for me in Africa or in the jungle of South America, those things, I, I'd, I'd spent a month at a time sometimes living with Indians on the edge of the Stone Age. There are things that, that work there, and they're not going to work at a high-dollar, high-class, extremely uh, well-done, well-managed, and well-led um, church of thousands and thousands of members. For example, I remember my first Sunday with the great Dr. Paul Walker. We were on the platform of this great church. I, I don't know if you remember, in the old days, you used to sit right up on the platform of the church. And we were in the middle of the worship service, a great choir, several hundred voices, 30, 40 piece orchestra, the huge congregation, thousands of people singing. And Dr. Walker was standing right beside me. And right in the middle of the music, he leaned over and whispered in my ear. He said, Are, are those your best shoes? I was flabbergasted. I said, Well, Dr. Walker, they're my only dress shoes. And he said, Now listen to me. If you can't afford them, I'll buy them for you. But next Sunday, I don't want to see those shoes on this platform. I was a little bit shocked, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, new platform, new shoes. Now, one could take offense at that and think that's superficial and all the rest of it. That's not what Dr. Walker was saying. He was saying, stuff that worked for you elsewhere is not going to work for you here. So, for example, I I attended board meetings there at that great church, and I, I sat at the right hand of a consummate genius. And I saw how he talked to and related to and and led and managed a board of some of Atlanta's top business people, great minds with great businesses. And Dr. Walker talked to them eyeball to eyeball. He was not intimidated. He wasn't a bully. He was just able to deal with them. And I realized if I'm ever going to manage at that level, I'm going to have to learn some stuff. The next morning, I walked down the hall to the business manager Arvel Burel, and I humbled myself. I said, Brother Burel, teach me business. Over the next few years while I was there at Mount Perrin with Dr. Walker, I probably read for an MBA. Arvel Burel kept signing me books, read this, study this, let's discuss this. And I'm sure I made him crazy too. Young guy asking all these questions. What does this mean? What does that mean? Dr. Walker was using words in board meetings. I didn't even know what they meant. And I realized I was going to have to learn some stuff if I was ever going to lead at that level. So there were certain things that were natural to me that I appreciated, but I realized that those things would actually become the ceiling of my capacity. And at Mount Perrin, that ceiling was lifted off. If I wanted to take advantage of it, I was going to have to go into that raised ceiling and learn some things. I'll never forget when I went into my office on the third floor, Dr. Walker and I shared a a library. Instead of like a Jack and Jill bathroom, it was like a Jack and Jill library. Beautiful panel library with hundreds and hundreds of books in there. My office opened to one side and Dr. Walker's office opened to the other. I walked into this huge, beautiful office with a, a telephone that had all kinds of buttons and apparatus on it, everything like that. And then a lady walked in and she said, I'm your secretary. And she said, I'm at the desk outside. I said, thank you very much. She closed the door and I just put my head over on my desk and said, oh no, I have a phone and a secretary and I don't know how to make use of either one of them. I, I can remember the humiliating moments where I would press a button and 
call out, and I'd, I'd say, Betty, is that you? And somebody would say, no, Dr. Rutland, this is the print office. And I had, I realized I was going to have to learn a bunch of skills that hadn't, I didn't have any use for in the jungle. I didn't have any use for in West Africa. But, but I could have been frightened and intimidated. Well, which I was frightened and intimidated, but I could have backed out of that, run from it, or tried to function at that level with the skills that I had already, that had come to me pretty naturally. I, I want to say something to you. There will come opportunities in your life that are opportunities for you to do something right there. Yes, you, you are doing what you're doing, but the greater purpose of that is actually to prepare you for the next thing that you're going to do. If you will do both of those things in that assignment, do that assignment as well as you can, but keep hearing that voice behind you that I heard at Mount Perrin Church of God, and it was this, learn, learn, learn. When my assignment at Mount Perrin was over, I was called on by a huge bankrupt megachurch in Central Florida. Millions and millions of dollars of debt that they were ready to default on. A 5,000-seat auditorium that was basically empty. And we were 120 days behind to our vendors. The day I walked on the campus, I, I had to go around to to businesses that we owed money to, like Florida Power, with my hat in my hand, saying to them, look, if you turn the lights off, we're never going to make it. You'll never get paid. If you'll work with me, I'll bring this church current, and we'll never get behind again. And they did. Thank God they did work with us. But that, that was humiliating. I had to deal with a board that was wounded and hurt. I had to deal with a church that was, well, first of all, physically it was empty, and second of all, people that were there were wounded. There had been scandal and financial mismanagement and all this debt. There was no way that I could have left West Africa and gone to that church. I had to have a stopping place. I had to have a learning place that got me to a whole new level. And that was Mount Perrin. Now, I just want to challenge you with this. Where are you right now? Are you operating totally and solely on natural gifts? Are you still living and leading at a level of pretty much what came natural to you? That you can do what you do the way you're doing it on and on. But you know that if you do that, the ceiling is already fixed. If you want to move to a different level, if you want to operate at a different altitude and velocity, then you may have to add to your natural skills, which may be considerable, but you may have to add to your natural skills some management abilities to deal with reality and, and people and, and finances and debt and, and some complicated issues that may never have been part of the fabric of your life and leadership in the past. Is leadership natural or is it learned? And the answer to that is yes. I'm so glad you joined me for this podcast. I'm Mark Rutland. I hope that you'll go on the web and search out thenicl.com. Come and join me for a program of leadership and management learning that'll change everything. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. 
You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.